And welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we read every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach and Adam. (laughs) Yes, Zach. Do you know why I'm talking in this very snooty accent? Because today we're going to talk about some very snooty people in the X-Universe. That's right. Today we are talking about the Hellfire Club. I'm not doing that for that long. (laughs) (laughs) No, we can't keep that up for the whole episode. Thank goodness. Um, But yeah, uh, this is and and some weird um, formations of the Hellfire Club today, too. Yeah, that's the funny thing. When we say we're talking about the Hellfire Club, I mean, we're not talking about the Hellfire Club that you think we are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're we're. It's it's an institution uh, beloved by the the rich and the famous uh, who maybe don't want to know people to know that they're in it, but at the same token, these three formations of it are very weird. Yeah, uh, I was thinking about this the other day. This is Hellfire adjacent and Snooty person adjacent. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you know what? What are some of the things that come to mind when you think of the classic Hellfire Club? You think of. Uh, the white queen and the black king and all this stuff and the whole chessboard kind of motif they've got going on. Yep. And you think about kinky sex stuff because look, <laughs> that's what they are. It's hard to avoid. Uh, that's definitely part of the theming. And uh, it it's my understanding that there's a historical antecedent to all of this, that there is an actual Hellfire Club that Claremont sort of based this concept on. No, he based it off of a concept from the 1960s TV show, The Avengers. Oh. Uh, it was just an episode from that. But there is, I believe there is an actual Hellfire Club. Um, so I don't know. Wanna, if people want to Google that, um, it, it is an interesting thing. But uh, yeah, I think when we think traditionally of the Hellfire Club, we're thinking about Sebastian Shaw. We're thinking about Emma and whoever is the ancillary court at that time. You know, that, well, I had, I had, I, the leadership. I had a thought about this earlier today. Yeah. So what's a combination of black and white? Uh, gray. Yeah. Which is not in here. And I thought it would be very interesting, uh, combining interests, if uh, the protagonist, uh, Christian Grey, uh, from the novels Fifty Shades of Grey, was okay. a member of the Hellfire Club. Now hear me out. I've that not makes... read any of these books. My wife has watched all the movies and told me they are horrible. Here's what I know about Christian Grey. One, he has a color-coded name. Two, he's rich. Three mm-hmm. dudes into bondage. That checks out. So I, I'm pretty sure that Christian Gray should be joining the Hellfire Club. Uh, and then he can like recruit some mousy reporter to be his Tessa or his sage. Hey, look, if Brian Braddock can have an honorary membership uh, from his lineage, then sure. The protagonist from Twilight fan fiction made novel made movie uh, can definitely have a membership, too. <laughs> 
Look, all I'm saying is it would make sense. Look at some of the famous members of the Hellfire Club. The Braddocks, the mm-hmm. Starks. You know Tony Stark is a member of the Hellfire Club? He should, well, yeah, he's got money, you know? That's what it's all about. The Worthingtons are members of the Hellfire Club. Mm-hmm. Like, look, the Hellfire Club's got a lot of stuff going on with it. Uh, but we should probably get into some of this stuff, right? Well, it's funny, like we're, we're getting all this set up to the classic uh, idea of the Hellfire Club, but where we're going to start is with uh, the arc in Excalibur that leads up to the 100th issue that kind of doesn't have anything to do with either original flavor Hellfire Club or even the upstarts version of the Hellfire Club. This is the Warren Ellis. There's a British branch of Hellfire Club that we've never heard of before. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the London Hellfire Club in the story London's Burning uh, from Excalibur 96 to 100. It's an Onslaught tie-in, which oh is wild. We've not talked about Onslaught yet. No, we haven't touched that at all. And, and issue 100, I didn't realize that this was an Onslaught tie-in. And when we got to 100, I was like, oh boy, where'd that come from? It comes but, out of nowhere. But do you know who we have to thank about this whole story coming out of nowhere. I do not. Uh, Who's this? Who's requesting this particular story? Eric Hassan went on over to patreon.com slash Xavier files. He threw some money this way and said, Hey guys, let's talk about, let's talk about this weird hellfire club. And we most happily obliged. Yeah. And uh, believe me, I was in for a surprise in page one of age of page, uh, page one of issue 96 opening a cover and finding Mount Joy on page one. I was like, this guy is back. You remember Mount Joy from, uh, <laughs> from the Bishop series? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He gets a little splash page here and says, it's a tasty world. And we, uh, we're led to believe that he's undercover in this London version of Hellfire Club. Um, and this sure is a story, Zach. Yeah, so right now Excalibur is uh, Kitty Pride, uh, Nightcrawler, Colossus, Megan, Brian Braddock, who is, I think he's going by Britannic right now, which is dumb. Ain't it? Uh, hey, Doug, it's the 90s. Doug Lock is there. Pete Wisdom's <laughs> there. Lockheed is around and stealing cigarettes. <laughs> and mumbling things in a British accent, which uh, we, we could talk about. Wolfsbane is around. Yes, Mariah uh, McTaggart is uh, in the house because we're on Muir Island. And um, I mean, did I just basically get the plot right here that um, there's a Hellfire Club in London that is trying to release like the devil and Hellfire, literal Hellfire to destroy London? I mean, that's that's kind of the plot, right? So here's what. There's a secret London Hellfire Club, which is great. Like... (laughs) I love that conceit, uh, but they don't like the they don't like the uh, chessboard mm. kind of motif. They go with the cards motif of yes. black and red, mm-hmm. which okay, I'm into that. Anyway, uh, Mountain Joy, you remember Mountain Joy, is definitely impersonating one of the members of the Hellfire Club, and Ryan Braddock gets roped into jumping into the Hellfire Club to try and figure out who Mountain Joy is. Yes. Um, and there is this very convoluted plot that involves, uh, Warren Ellis's creation of, I'm assuming this is an Ellis creation. The, is it black air? Yeah, it's the, black air. Uh, They're the successors to who? Yes. They've taken over who, 
the Weird Happenings organization. Um, we have Amanda Sefton's mother is a member of the London Hellfire Club. And oh, yeah, she... spoiler alert. Marigold Sazolus. <laughs> Sazdos. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Uh, she's the Red Queen, and she stole the Soul Sword from uh, from Amanda Sefton, who is keeping it safe. And uh, yeah, and she's is also going to murder in... everyone on the Winding Way so she could be the best <laughs> magician. She's also in possession of Doug Lock's head. Uh, oh yeah, to... they cut off Doug Lock's head. Oh jeez, just when He's you're beginning fine. to like Doug Lock. Ducklock is fine, by the way. He's good. He is just headless, but because he's a good, good robot boy who thinks he's not just Warlock, but Warlock with Doug's memories, even though he's just Warlock. Mm. Uh, so he can be just a head. He's okay with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, Margal uses that head and magic to unleash a actual demon. Yes, with actual hellfire. Uh, blasting into the streets of London, uh, spreading madness. People are beating up on each other, killing each other, though that's not illustrated particularly well. You, you kind of have to read between the lines. Yeah. Speaking of illustration, uh, these we got a grab bag of artists here. Uh, Carlos Pacheco and Casey Jones do a lot of the work on uh, yes. these two issues or these mm-hmm. five issues. Uh, but we also get a little bit of pencils from Randy Green and Rob Haynes. Uh, this isn't my favorite art. It's fine. Yeah, um, Pacheco is not inked by uh, Cam Smith here, as he was on the uh, Bishop miniseries, and it shows. Um, I think he's got Bob Wyacek doing uh, inks on ninety six. I'm not. I'm not sure who's inking him on his other issues, but uh, it. You know, the the art is interesting um there's some interesting facial expressions that go through some of these scenes some interesting illustrations of anatomy that uh are odd um to say the least especially when it comes to megan nightcrawler gets a new uh outfit too which is oh yeah yeah he looks great he's got sort of more swashbuckly kind of thing going on um this is this is goatee nightcrawler (laughs) yes he shaved his head he's got a little uh you know a little beard going on um it's adorable. Sure. Why not? I I don't know if I think reading this and, and having previously written uh, read Pride and Wisdom, I, I don't know if I'm starting to become very, very uh, opposed to Warren Ellis's uh, writing in general. <laughs> this this isn't as bad as, as Pride and Wisdom, but um, it wasn't my favorite story. Shall we say? Here's what I'll, here's what I'll say. Warren Ellis is probably the He's up there with the most talented guys to do the worst work on X-Men. Because mm. Warren Ellis has done a lot of X-Men in general. Uh, and none of it's great. I'm going to say that right now. Anyone who wants to jump and say, hold on, hold on. I think Ghost Boxes was really cool. Nah, guys. Nah, mm. you're wrong. You can have that opinion. We're all allowed to have wrong opinions, but you're wrong. Um, I, I like the lineup of the team here. Uh, Pete wisdom is around, but I do appreciate that. He's basically being like messed with through the entire run by Lockheed. Um, 
And yeah, even when Pete Wisdom <laughs> is done well, he's essentially what the Alan Davis Captain Britain was, where yeah. he's he's just the guy on the team who gets all the bad things happening to him, but it's funny. <laughs> right. And so there's a stupid subplot with him needing to like duel it out with another assassin. And it, 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 I'm like, there's a little too much extra stuff thrown into these issues um, that we absolutely don't need. Like the whole thing could be streamlined, um, but it, it makes for you know, a pretty serviceable story. I think Nightcrawler is pretty fun here. Yeah, but I, I would agree. There's like four different plots going on because yeah. there's there's Brian infiltrating the Hellfire Club, which doesn't seem related to anything else that Excalibur is doing until the very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the main Excalibur plot. Uh, there is, which is tied into a subplot of Pete Wisdom and being mad at some guy named Scratch from Black Air. Right. You've got Mount Joy undercover for not a lot of plot reasons. No, Mount Joy, again, is just here. Right, right. I feel like Carlos Pacheco just wanted to draw Mount Joy again. (laughs) Maybe, I guess. And Um, then there's there's Onslaught also happens. And the X-Men show up and find out that Charles Xavier secretly kept some Xavier files about murdering all of the X-Men all the time. They were technically called the Xavier Protocols. And when I started my website, I had a lot of people asking me if I was going to think about different ways to kill the X-Men. And I said, no, nah, that's a bad plot point. <laughs> but he essentially does Tower of Babel uh, from uh, JLA. But it goes nowhere. It just is more saying Charles Xavier, kind of a jerk, right? Well, it's it's pretty wild that you know, out of this already complicated story, we have to have a couple pages set aside for uh, the 90s X-Men team to show up on Muir Island for what appears to be uh, a pretty good fail safe. You know, Xavier has figured out a way to, you know, leave plans for a suit that's going to allow them to kill himself, who has been turned into Onslaught. Um, But then when Angel walks into the room, it's like, oh yeah, here's how to kill Wolverine. And here's how to kill this guy. And here's how to kill this guy. So um, it's a fun little note, but it is also very strange that it's in the pages of Excalibur um, and has absolutely no reason for being in this book with this particular arc. How you kill Wolverine? Yeah, what, do you, what does he say? You got to decapitate him? <laughs> you chop off his head and then you put his head in the safe so his head and his body can't meet back up. <laughs> right. right. Which, Which is I don't know totally. But uh, I don't think we I don't think we actually explain for people who don't know about Onslaught. uh, Onslaught's horrible. Uh, It's this time that you remember in Fatal Attraction when Xavier was like, no more Magnus, Magnus, no more. And he mind wiped him. Well, technically, a small part of Magnus got mixed in with Xavier and all of Xavier's evil bad sides since he was an evil bad boy his entire life. Uh, And then he turned into a giant uh, <laughs> a giant Magneto monster. He he is a super shredder, but for Magneto, that's what he is. <laughs> I never thought about it that way, but that is. Very... Am I wrong? Am I wrong? That's all he is. Yeah, he's super he shredder Magneto. He drank the ooze. <laughs> yeah, so Charles Xavier <laughs> drank the ooze, and I've read. I've read Onslaught. The plot is incomprehensible. He's just evil and psychic and bad. And then the Avengers jump into his body, but mutants can't jump into his body for reasons. Oh boy. Except for Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver because they wanted them in the Avengers books. Oh man. 
it it's is a, it is a thing it only complicates this excalibur story which is already super complicated um yeah so i think this is uh kind of i don't know it, it's a mess it has <laughs> It, yes. it has some fun things in it, though, that, you know, I didn't really love the first issue. But once I got into it, I was like, this is kind of fun. Like there's a tongue in cheek quality to the fact that there is a Hellfire Club that is literally plotting to contaminate the earth with Hellfire. So, yeah, that's I, great. I appreciate that. You know what I mean? Um, I like I agree. I like some of the ideas. Yeah. In this. Like, I think they're fun comic book ideas, mm -hmm. not incredibly well executed ones. No, no, the story seems uh, overly complicated. It's, you know, it, it, anyway. So on our list, we have, uh, well, what are we up to now, Zach? We're up to 212. Yeah. 213. 213 stories. Wow. Yeah, starting with Days of Future Past at 1, the first arc of X-Statics at 25, uh, Giant Size X-Men number 1 at 50, uh, what's it? A hundred extraordinary X-Men 17, which is a good issue. Mm. Uh, that arc from ultimate Spider-Man where him and Wolverine switch bodies is at 125. at 150 is the first issue ever of X-Men. And maybe that's a little high now that I think about it. Uh, <laughs> it's important at, at 200 is the first arc of X-Factor. And then there's 12 worst stories. Yes. Uh, with bottoming out at the Draco at 213. Now we have pride and wisdom uh another warren ellis era creation uh at 190 um so ranking quite low this um, is better than pride and wisdom i agree it absolutely is um and where do we have that excalibur go to a bar issue because that's not too far before this one no this arc is better than this one that is a sure. lot better yeah so that's uh, at 117 um so we know we're somewhere in that realm um this isn't I, better than final sanction uh the phalanx covenant story at 143 uh no no i i would go a lot lower on this um in fact like even at 175 we have shatterstar and adam x versus arcade i i think that might be more fun than he's talking about that time story. that adam x the extreme is back and that things had never been dead later <laughs> I sure am. I sure am. I think this is more on par with, say, at 177, uh, the cable arc, the Genosha arc, the long way home. I think that's I like more the cable comparable. arc better. I do too. Um, but, you know, similar, similar kind of a, a level of quality, shall we say. Here's what I'd um, say I've got yeah. an idea right below, or a couple spots below that at 180 is Curse of the Mutants, which I hate. Mm -hmm. 181 is Judgment War, which I don't see the appeal of right. i think this goes right in between those two i yeah that's a good place for it you know this is uh it's manageable it has some fun elements but it ain't great so um what are we calling this uh london burning london burning that makes sense because it is in this i story. think that's i think that's the name uh, or that's on something on the first issue it doesn't matter i um, believe you yeah trust me here so that sure was a story and we've got more hey everyone so that was a really fun uh talk about excalibur i think we had a lot of great times and laughs uh we we still have two more stories and here's the thing we already talked about them <laughs> yeah at length at length 
uh, and it was a good episode. But then uh, the file got corrupted uh, <laughs> through various, yeah, ways and means. So we're just redoing the last two stories. So just wanted to be fully transparent with you. You guys won't know the difference, but I just want you to know as you're listening to this deep down in your hearts, Adam and I are just living Groundhog Day. <laughs> yes. Uh, and if you were following me on social media, guys, uh, you've maybe heard a little clip of what the audio sounded like on my end. Um, it was whack. It, yeah. It was uh, pitch shifting me and uh, clipping in and out. It was nuts. So uh, we should it, be better now. It got past the point of like usability. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was rough. Anyway, uh, so we were talking about the Hellfire Club and some weird manifestations of it. Uh, we stopped with the Excalibur storyline about the London Hex Hellfire Club. What do we have up next here, Zach? Next, we have a very innovative, let's say, version of the Hellfire Club. You know, uh, you know, sometimes when like the Muppets have just been stale for too long <laughs> yeah and they decide you know what's going to be a real real big uh sales boost here for muppets let's make them babies yeah yes uh, wait is this this is uh the hellfire babies <laughs> it's not though that's something i'm pretty sure mojo already has taken care of uh <laughs> this is uh the teeny tiny hellfire squad uh mm -hmm who started their own school in Wolverine and the X-Men 30 through 35, the Hellfire Saga. Oh boy. Uh, you a fan of the Hellfire Club for kids here, Zach? I am not. <laughs> I, I'm aware that there are some people who are, uh, but this is not one of my favorite Jason Aaron ideas. And let me tell you something. I like Jason Aaron as a writer in general, like, I actually just got a couple of volumes of his Thor series that I had been missing oh. uh, in between when we recorded this episode the first time and now. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm willing to say I'm a Jason Aaron fan. I think there's a very fine line for Jason Aaron, a line between brilliant and stupid. And he lives on that line and sometimes falls on either side of it. Yeah, there yeah. there are moments in this particular arc that uh, fall on both sides of that line, and a lot of it, unfortunately, does kind of fall on the uh, maybe way too far <laughs> side of the line. Yeah, so uh, this this is not just Jason Aaron. We also have on the first issue, uh, we have Pascal Ferry, uh, what Savar Espin, and uh, for a couple of pages, Pepe Larraz. Right. And yeah, then Nick pepper. Bradshaw does mm -hmm. the rest of the uh, issue. And I think first things first, Nick Bradshaw's art is real strong in this, especially when he's allowed to let loose near the end. There is these beautiful fight pages between uh, Krakoa, as in the X-Men's lawn, a bunch of <laughs> volcano Krakoas who are evil, and also Iceman in a Voltron. Yeah, Iceman's got his own old Voltron. I mean, I think that is really where Jason Aaron shines is when he totally goes heavy metal and it works. Um, there's other aspects of this that just they don't 
really work. Um, this is the mirror universe version of the first couple of issues of this series. And uh, we've got some villain faculty here that, you know, are basically included as punchlines, like Master Pandemonium. <laughs> the, the guy with babies for hands? Yes. With yeah. the souls of Scarlet Witch's babies? <laughs> oh, so weird. So weird. You know, um, and so you know that like the inclusion of Master Pandemonium is is a punchline. And then there are other things here that are just confusing, like Mystique is here for some reason. Oh, because, you know, she didn't have enough money to buy her own island, regardless of the fact that she literally did that, like, within two or three months of that happening in Bendis's Uncanny. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's that kind of, like, um, out of sync quality to this story that, that makes it kind of difficult to parse, because it, it does not line up with uh, what we saw in the Bendis run, unfortunately. Yeah, and there's a couple things about it that I'm just, I'm not a huge fan of how it gets set up. Because essentially what happens is way back uh, at kind of like the midpoint of this run, mm -hmm. Brew, uh, the brood who's a nice good boy and very smart, uh, got shot in the head by a teenager in the Hellfire Club. Not even teenager, a 12-year-old, Cade Kilgore, the 12-year-old boy genius yeah, he's he's uh, one of the several children running the Hellfire Club, um, including, including, an, including an ancestor of Yeah, <laughs> All right. Which, you know, was kind of a funny joke in the first arc of Wolverine and the X-Men. But um, eh, yeah, you're right. So that was an ongoing mystery was who shot Brew. Um, and really, that's what gets Edie uh, Conquo to come to this Hellfire Club school correct yeah that that's Edie's motivation and then quentin choir's motivation is because he uh loves Edie and he wants to help her out Bruce's motivation is to eat things uh <laughs> and then Cade kilgore gets this weird motivation uh to he's starting the school so that people are afraid of mutants and that the world has a supply of mutant supervillains so that he can continue to sell sentinels which like maybe throw your marketing dollars somewhere else. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a leap, um, you know, to to hire Zanto. Zanto <laughs> um, Starblood. Zanto Starblood. Doctor Zanto Starblood. Doctor Zanto. The foremost, the foremost authority on the brood. Yeah, very odd uh, sales tactic. If that's really what the bottom line was, you know, the goal of having this school. Um, and uh, I, think, I think his goal was actually just to get ID in fetish wear, you know, uh, the 14 year old uh, ID. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's that, unfortunate. Very unfortunate. That happens. It's not great. Well, and we had talked about this uh, the first time we recorded was that, you know, it boils down to sort of this strange love square. You know, we have Cade and, and, um, and Quentin kind of fighting over Edie. Edie really cares about Brew, which is why they're there. And that is supposed to be sort of like the underlying thing happening here um, while the rest of the X-Men come and try and save them. But I don't, I don't know, like we're being very, Jason Aaron's being very specific about the fact in narration that Edie is 14. And at the same time, she's then being asked to dress in the black lingerie of a Hellfire Club member. And, of a black queen and it's weird 
That's it's it, weird. Icky. Yeah, it's, it's not great. Edie's young. We try not to sexualize her. Uh, and we failed at that part. So, you know, bad job, Marvel. Uh, but I, I do think this story has some fun stuff. Uh, like, I like the the weird secondary antagonist that's in here, the Philistine. <laughs> well, you know, it's important to remember that this is uh, a Siege Perilous story. Except for the Siege Perilous. The Siege Perilous, which we all know is the magic mirror thing that uh, sends people to their heart's true desire. Something dumb. I forget whatever it does. <laughs> it makes Colossus a painter in New York with a ponytail. Yeah, and it's definitely not the seat at the un, uh, unfilled seat at the uh, round table of King Arthur. Uh, <laughs> but it's essentially like the Black Vortex from that bad crossover in this series, right? Like it just gives people power ups and mind yeah. controls them. Yeah, yeah. There's a kid that sneezes a lot, and he gets transformed into like the Hulk just by His name going. Is snot. Yes, yeah, snot. Please treat him with respect. <laughs> so yeah it's treated as a power-up machine and uh it, it later apparently traps Cade kilgore and that's not what we know the siege to be um but hey that's how it's used here yeah uh so that's that's a choice it's the storytelling in this is a little odd like i know this is essentially the culmination of jason aaron's run mm -hmm. uh on wolverine and the x-men even though his run would go on for like another eight issues or something uh, but this this is kind of the real ending point of it. Yeah, I think that's important to point out is that, you know, by being the bookend to the first arc of the series, this really does seem to want to wrap the series up before you get into Battle of the Atom. Um, even it goes so far as the, at the end of the uh, uh, last issue, um, you have the Nightcrawler uh, cameo, like saying, hey, it's time for me to come back to life. Yeah, teasing, uh, amazing, amazing right. X Men. Yeah, which one? Amazing X Men. We did, I don't think we talked about this when we did the quest for Nightcrawler story. Amazing X Men was definitely supposed to be a big deal, and then Jason Aaron got told, "Hey, we have Star Wars now. You're going to do that, <laughs> right? We're going to relaunch Star Wars. So, uh, you know, that Nightcrawler plan that you had, it's going to last for a couple issues, and forget about it. Um, so, I think." that uh this succeeds in some ways like you were talking about the amazing nick bradshaw art that's here it's great mm -hmm. but from a storytelling perspective um i think we've talked in the past about how sometimes things land for aaron here and sometimes they don't sometimes the comedy works um and uh here it's it's definitely a mixed bag right so we because we already recorded this we have this on our list already so I don't think we're I don't think we're gonna pretend like we don't know where this is ending up. I was gonna say, like it doesn't make much sense for us to argue about where it should go. Um, but I, I, I think we <laughs> should go through a couple of our logical steps that we got there so people understand where our mindset was. Yeah, I think we started at ninety-three because there's a Wolverine in the X-Men. Well, it's what? technically ninety-two right now in the podcast continuity. Oh, sorry, sorry. Spoiler yes. alert, guys, our third story is better than this. <laughs> yes uh so at 92 we had wolverine and the x-men five to seven which was the arc where uh kitty got pregnant with brood um not brew just like right rude micro little guys <laughs> the xenomorphs yes kitty had xenomorphs inside her it was weird it was, it weird. was weird but it was better than this 
so where where do we go next? Uh, we started going down the list, uh, oh, finding yes. stuff that we thought was better or worse than it. Uh, like we liked uh, the continuity story better at 101. Mm-hmm. And we liked uh, the new X-Men childhoods and slash crusade stuff at 107 better. Uh, and we liked, uh, what was it? Uncanny X-Men 268 Matripoor Knights more. But we thought that this was stronger than the Negative Zone War arc in X-Men Gold, which made this our new 114. There you go. Yeah, and I think that's a good place for it on the list. Um, You know, it's definitely, if you're a Wolverine and the X-Men fan, if you're a Nick Bradshaw fan, um, if you like Jason Aaron's sense of humor, check this out. Um, It does have some value. Um, It's just a little uneven for our tastes, I think. Yeah, that whole run is uneven for my taste. Like, I get it. <laughs> I get that it. people love Wolverine and the X-Men. It ain't for me, guys. Um, yeah, I mean, it all depends on the arc. There's some times where it's really working, and uh, this one is all over the place. It really is. Yeah. Now, I'd say speaking of a story that is really working. Yeah. Let's talk about our last story on this list today. Ooh, yes. What is this one, Zach? Because we got one more wacky formation of the Hellfire Club here. Yeah, so this is a Hellfire Club that includes Negasonic Teenage Warhead, a <laughs> character who, like, people know, which is mm-hmm. buck wild. Um, two, two blockbuster movies. Two blockbuster movies of Negasonic Teenage Warhead and no one else. They That's are wild. Negasonic Teenage Warhead solo stories, and, you know, we wish them all the best. No, no, no. Uh, we're obviously talking <laughs> about Deadpool. Uh, but no, uh, so this is a Hellfire Club of Negasonic Teenage Warhead, The Perfection, who is a mysterious hooded person, mm-hmm. Sebastian Shaw, Cassandra Nova, and Emma Frost. Uh-oh. But like Emma Frost, when it would be weird for her to still be in the Hellfire Club. Uh-oh. Yeah. So um, right off the bat, we're starting in Astonishing X-Men number 13. Uh, if you've never read Astonishing X-Men, it's Joss Whedon. It's John Cassidy on art. And uh, we are getting uh, the idea right off the bat from page one that uh, Emma might be a sleeper agent, that Cassandra Nova maybe hijacked her before her Genosian genocide and maybe even provided her with her secondary diamond mutation. Yeah, which is a lot. Uh, so Emma in this run in particular starts out like inviting Kitty to rejoin the team because she knows that Kitty will watch her back because Emma doesn't trust herself. Mm-hmm. She says, "What? what's the line? It's, you know, I like being a hero, but it doesn't always agree with me or something like that. <laughs> yeah, Kitty is basically there because uh, Emma wants her to be the safeguard just in case Emma ever falls out of line. She she is expecting Kitty to, uh, you know, keep her in line. Yeah. And so in this story, Emma falls out of line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> big time. Big time. And hijacks the the team, basically. Yeah. Using her good, good psychic powers. She sends Cyclops to the black bug room and removes his power. The black bug room is a room with three black bugs. Uh, in case anyone's curious, uh, everyone has their own black bug room. This one just happens to be Scott's. Mm -hmm. Uh, she has Colossus beat himself up. She turns Wolverine into, uh, 
little dandy boy uh, from back when he was, you know, James Hallett. <laughs> Beast goes feral. Um, now, it's important to realize that there's a bait and switch here because we don't necessarily realize what's going on until later in the arc. At first, we believe that the various members of the Hellfire Club are attacking the different members of the X-Men. Um, but spoiler alert, if you've never read this arc, um, it's Emma. She's <laughs> she's doing it all. Um, and well, yes, but, but Emma is also but, getting played. Yes, um, because the goal here is uh, Cassandra Nova has hijacked her um, to help rescue the little slug body that was encased in the metal case in the basement of the X-Mansion in the Morrison era. Yeah, dang, what's that guy's name? Because he was a he was a member of the uh, Shi'ar Guard. Oh, is there? Uh, yeah, you know that that that's just the that's just the body of whatever Cassandra Nova oh, right. possessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Last. Uh huh. Ah, oh, dang. Little dang. slug dude. What's his name? Stuff. His name was Stuff. <laughs> that's so Grant Morrison. It's a very Grant Morrison idea. So anyway, Stuff is hanging out in a box, uh, yes. being possessed by Cassandra Nova, and no one can break into the box. It's meat and proof except mm -hmm. for someone who could walk through walls. So Cassandra Nova leaving a tiny sliver of her inside of Emma from before she got boxed. It's all referenced in the Grant Morrison stuff. Go read that if you want to know why. Just assume it happens. Anyway, Cassandra Nova possesses Emma to trick Kitty into thinking that Kitty and Colossus had a child that the X-Men took away because it was a dangerous mutant that would destroy the world or something, and Kitty goes on a rampage! Yeah, yeah. Um, this is definitely a, you know, Whedon writing Kitty as Buffy kind of situation. Uh, no, Whedon we, we wrote Buffy as Kitty. Let's be very, very <laughs> clear about that one. Uh, Joss Whedon has straight up said, oh yeah, no, I just really liked Kitty Pride. So that's what Buffy is. Yeah, but... In this particular uh, series so far, we really haven't gotten a chance to see Kitty kick butt. And this is where we get to see that because we, uh, you know, we see Kitty put Emma Frost in essentially a hole underground where Emma assumes she's just going to die mm -hmm. um, and just kick some butt, really. Um, unfortunately, though, as you said, she's been so manipulated with this, uh, you know, this dead child scenario that she actually does pull the slug out uh, of the box with her phasing powers. So, but this is a weird story because it doesn't get resolved. Yeah, that's the thing. Cause there's a secondary story that's going on at this point yes. uh, up in uh, sword. So you know about sword, right? You know, yes. intergalactic shield. <laughs> yeah. You know how shield protects people on earth? Uh, sword fights aliens. Mm-hmm. Which is great. Anyway, Sword has Ord of Breakworld. And Ord wants to destroy all mutants, but now specifically Colossus, because he has found out that Colossus is the one prophesied to destroy the Breakworld. Right. And danger is there uh, at Sword the headquarters living room. in space to break Ord out um, and to abduct the X-Men. Well, no, that's... Uh, to get Colossus. That's essentially what they're there to do. But the series, the this arc ends with S.W.O.R.D. just taking everybody onto their giant spaceship and heading to Breakworld. 
So and never, pre- presuming that Cassandra Nova got taken care of. Right. But we don't know that. And it's not resolved in the next arc. So which, which is kind of to the detriment of this story. Uh, if you read it closely, it looks like uh, Whedon was setting up for that Cassandra Nova potentially living on inside of Armor, who, mm-hmm. by the way, this arc is a really good arc for Armor and lets her stand out and grow as a character in ways I really enjoy. It also gets a lot more attention spent on Blindfold, both yes. of whom are characters I really like. Yeah. Well, I think um, what works really, really well here is that um, Joss Whedon is juggling all of these storylines, you know, he's, he's doing the sword Ord danger thing in the background, which is very dramatic. You know, you have Ord like jumping out of the side of a spaceship. Mm-hmm. Um, you have all of the Emma Frost stuff, which the reader does not realize what's going on. Um, you have all of these visions of Kitty. You have the storylines of uh, armor and blindfold and all of it just works so well together. Um, you know, I feel like he's he's juggling these storylines and it it's executed very, very well. Yeah, I I really do admire the pacing on the story. Obviously, uh, John Cassidy's art is incredible. Oh, it's outstanding. Uh, he he gets cinematic, you know, quote unquote, widescreen comics. Mm-hmm. He does that very, very well. Yeah, the and um just the mood of the story is great from beat to beat you know his his fight scenes are terrific when when a feral beast ends up going after wolverine who's a child uh in wolverine's body it's just crazy um and there are a couple of like really great reveals as we go through here like uh perfection turns out to be um original recipe emma frost um you know and (laughs) i don't know no, the best reveal, best reveal, best reveal. Uh, I forget. We already talked about this a few days ago, uh, but I want to bring it back again because it's still great. It's when uh, Cyclops shows up and he shoots. Uh, <laughs> does he shoot Perfection? Is that the one he shoots first? Uh, let's so. see. He shoots. Yeah, he shoots the uh, the original Emma Frost. Um, and, by the way, Cyclops doesn't shoot him with his laser eyes. He shoots him with a gun, <laughs> a gun with bullets. <laughs> Yeah, you won't believe the day I'm having. That's what he says. Hiya, Pete. Oh, it's so good. He's wearing his jacket. And guys, Jacket Cyclops is very good. Like, you know how <laughs> you know how you could have made the Bendis Bachelor uh revolutionary Cyclops costume better? Give him a jacket. Give him a motorcycle jacket? Why yeah. not? Put a jacket on that guy. <laughs> It'd be great. Nah, but it's it's a great scene. There's a lot of good fun in it. Now, for me, this is the weakest of the Whedon astonishing. Uh, I just I I think while there's a lot going on, it doesn't hit as well for me. Adam, you like this more than uh, Dangerous. I did. Um, I you know one of the things that we talked about the other day when we recorded was that I was kind of astounded reading this because you when you hear about these stories of Joss Whedon having like just a complete breakdown as he's making age of Ultron, because he has to juggle all of the storylines. He has to uh, set up the next, however many Marvel movies and, you know, direct this massive thing with these effects and set pieces. You forget that, you know, at at the core, he's a very, very talented writer. Um, 
you know, character flaws aside, Joss, uh, you know, is very capable of juggling this kind of material and getting the characters very, very right. Um, so I enjoy this great. It has humorous moments, um, especially with, you know, even though Wolverine uh, has the, um, you know, his little baby Jamie Howlett personality is a little racist. Um, a little bit. <laughs> uh, you know, especially his, his interactions with armor. Um, yeah, but he gets, he gets the characters. And um, I, I just think that, you know, the way this is put together is, is just a, a tick above dangerous for me. Um, and that's where we started when we talked about ranking it, because we had astonishing at number 34. Um, yeah. Uh, what that? That's astonishing. Uh, dangerous. Yeah, dangerous. Yeah. I would, I would put this, if we're going to do that, uh, I'd say we'd go just a little bit higher. Because for me, I don't think this is... I think this is definitely not better than New X-Men 127, the Zorn issue. Yeah, I think that was my ceiling when we, we first uh, talked about ranking this. And then you you held out for X-Club. You I championed X-Club. I do love X-Club. You know <laughs> that there is a psychic starfish in X-Club? <laughs> yes. And it tells us all of Dr. Nemesis's greatest thoughts. Man, oh. can you imagine... If uh, Grant Morrison wrote Dr. Nemesis. Oh, man. That'd if be Grant great. Morrison would have been the one to say, let's take him from a freaking <laughs> uh, wherever he was, I guess, public domain and do something yeah. with him. Oh, that yeah. would have been good. But he didn't uh, because he was a coward or something. Oh, That's okay. man. He, he had a lot of his own stuff going on. So I guess we... he's a little creative. Anyway, we, <laughs> we put that above X-Men Legacy 300. Yes, uh, it made it our new 32, Astonishing X-Men Torn. So very good showing for, uh, for Whedon's Astonishing again. Yeah, and that does it for this list. I think this was fun. Uh, it was it was an episode so nice we had to record it twice. <laughs> yeah, God, the freaking internet, man. It, it's just not always as reliable as you would like. But um, yeah. I, I'm glad that we got back together and then we talked about the Hellfire Club a little bit more. I think the original episode, we ended up talking about Christmas songs for some reason. Yeah. Oh, because here's why. Because, <laughs> folks. Why was that? Because first off, I want to thank Eric Casson. Eric went over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files. He threw in some money so that we could rank uh, Hellfire Club episodes on this entire stories on this episode. If you want to be like Eric, you can throw some money at us. Uh, we're trying to figure out what our next tiers for the Patreon stuff is going oh, to be. Right. right. We talked we talked about uh, doing a Christmas album uh, because <laughs> we definitely uh, are booked up on Patreon right now up through Christmas. That's crazy. So if you've got something you would like us to talk about, like let's let's throw that let's throw that up there and let's see what happens, guys. Uh, and then I think we mentioned Jordan White should be on our Christmas album. Uh, that's that's how that that's how that <laughs> tangent that only Adam and I know about. <laughs> yes, we, we we recommended that Jordan jump on to uh, our version of Christmas Island, which you, you say never our heard of. version. Yeah, like I <laughs> knew what song you were talking about. <laughs> so uh, I think I sang a little bit of it, but anyway, um, that was that was what you missed, guys. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
anyway, again, thanks, Eric. Thanks to everyone else on Patreon. Uh, if you like the show, leave a review or more, more, more than that. Maybe just tell a friend, say, hey, uh, here's the show I like, or share it on social media, or whatever. It helps us out. Uh, uh, what was, else was I going to say? Oh, yeah, speaking of social media, I'm on social media at Xavier Files on Twitter. Uh, also, XavierFiles.com is the website with all of our stuff. Uh, Aren't you going to oh, be at a convention soon? I am going to be at a convention soon. So I am going to be at table T12 in the very back <laughs> corner of the gem city comic-con in dayton ohio i'm tabling with friend of the show friend of me luke hair uh i'm also giving a presentation about bad comics and how we should talk about bad comics which is really actually just like how we should talk about bad media in general but it's a comic convention so love it uh so that's going to be saturday morning uh in convention or in yeah what whatever hall b uh also luke because he's a bad person uh <laughs> he's gonna be dressing up like a lizard he's he's gonna be dressed as the lizard from the 2012 <laughs> feature film uh the amazing spider-man because <laughs> somehow why, he convinced people to give him like 90 bucks <laughs> so i've good, gotta live with gag. that it's a good gag uh, is it i'm still not sure i don't know anyway it's gonna be weird i'm gonna have like buttons and uh some zines like i'm gonna have physical copies of the xavier files zine that a lot of people helped with uh they're gonna be on just regular paper because that's what the ups store can print out quickly uh and then also i'm going to have the wolverine in adamantium chef uh, comics, and then I'm going to be drawing pictures of your favorite X-Men's. So show up if you're in the greater Ohio area. Adam, where can people find you? All right, guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Uh, I've got new pages of Bish and Jubes, the Crosstime Conundrum, every X-Men Monday at adamrec.tumblr.com. Yes, yes, he does, and it's very good. Um, so next week, we're going to be talking about times the new mutants died. Oh, boy, that seems to happen quite a bit. Yeah, man, it's a lot. <laughs> uh, we found three different New Mutant stories about death. Uh, one of them's super good. Uh, the other one's also good. Another one's my maybe not. Uh, <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> but until then, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!